evening. I'm going to wear my White Sox hat because uh, Pastor Joey is not here. And if he was here, he would probably, you know, chase me off the stage. But um, I've seen enough representation to know I've got, somebody's got my back. Um, yeah, I hear it. I hear it. Anyway, uh, just thank you for that introduction. Um, Gio, was it? What he talked about, God's perfect love, guys, uh, that could be all we need to hear tonight. Um, this is like a key moment in your, in, your, in your life. When I was a teenager, you know, the world seemed pretty stable. It was a lot smaller. It was before the internet, okay? <laughs> um, and, and being a teenager was still hard. And uh, so to, to come back to America and see what you guys uh, face, um, understanding that God loves you perfectly is so important if you want, if your heart wants to keep following him, if your heart wants to serve him, if your heart just knows that something's not right, you know, with the world, um, just know that God loves you perfectly. And the other thing that Gio said that is so true is nobody else can love you perfectly. Um, they might want to, they might try, um, but like he said, you will be let down, you will be disappointed, you will be heartbroken, and many of you know those feelings already, unfortunately. But God loves you perfectly. And when you understand, when you really believe in your heart that God loves you perfectly, it allows you to, it allows you to, to go and love people imperfectly because you're going to love people imperfectly too, right? If nobody else can love you perfectly, your, your love's going to fall short. Um, but it also allows you, and I want to be careful how I say this because there are some hurts because we're not God, because we can't love perfectly, there are some hurts that are going to be hard or impossible to get over in this life. But knowing that God loves you perfectly, believing that in your heart and knowing it to be true will allow you to, I'm going to use the word accept, accept the imperfect love that comes from other people. That doesn't mean that everything that everybody does in the name of love is okay, um, I want to be very clear about that. There are some things that are just wrong, but people who, who love you, it's, it, it's okay to accept imperfect love. Um, I know that because I have family, and they're not perfect. Um, my parents and my wife and hopefully my kids love me more than anybody, um, but it's still imperfect. Um, and so I just want to, I just, I wasn't planning on saying that, but it's, it's something that's close to my heart. It's in a, it's a message that I often preach and, and it is a part of, of who I am. And it's just so key because we often, we put that expectation on everybody else to love me perfectly. And if you disappoint me in the least, like, man, everything's over. It just, I can't go on. It, it's over. And that's not, that's not, um, that's not how God set up the world. That's not, that wasn't his plan when Jesus came to rescue us from all that. His plan was to allow us to be loved perfectly by him, 
and so that we can withstand the imperfect love from others and we can accept the imperfect love from others. And that we can go out and we can love freely, knowing that, man, I'm not going to be able to love this person perfectly, but I'm going I'm I'm to do what I can, and I want to show them that God does love us perfectly. It'll, it's, it's, it's a freeing thing, okay? And like I said, I want to be careful because there's a lot of hurt. Um, sin in the world, it, it's, it's real. Um, you guys are all familiar with the story at the very beginning of the Bible, the Garden of Eden. And the point of that story, not one of the points of that story is to show us how sin came into the world. And when it did, it broke it broke everything. It breaks everything. That's what the Bible teaches us, is that sin has affected everything. Um, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, a lot of times we're taught that that means, we, we think wages as like payment, right? And so we're taught like, oh, if you behave badly, you know, your payment is going to be death <laughs> or some form of punishment. And that is a part of it. There is a, a personal, individual aspect to sin and, and what we do. But... Um, but what, what we learn from that is the wages of sin is death. And sin has affected everything. And so this world as we know it is going to have to experience that. Um, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so like, there is that aspect of sin has its consequences, but God is giving us this gift. And that's, again, that's this, this perfect love. And so I just wanted to share that and I think it was very timely and very wise of Geo. I don't know how old you are, but you're very wise, whatever, um, wherever you're at in life, to be able to recognize those things and articulate them back to us. So thank you for that. Thank you for reminding me. God loves me perfectly, and that's, that's all I need. So, so nobody else has to. I can still, you know, love people, and I can still see them for their flaws, and I can love them anyway. Um, I just want to, again, he said, my name's Tom. There's a slide, I think, of my family, if you guys have that. Um, so that's my wife, Jenny, and then our son, Boaz, is in the blue jacket, and our little girl, Louisa, is up in my arms there. And uh, yeah, so that, that's us. Um, I grew up in Oak Lawn, a south suburb of Chicago. Jenny grew up in Milwaukee, a north suburb of Chicago. And uh, come on now, that's funny, right? Especially for you Cubs fans who are like at war with Milwaukee, right? That's funny. Come on, I can make you laugh too. Um, and yeah, so I, I grew up. I grew up in Oakland, and uh, I just want to share a little bit of my story about how I was called um, into missions and what that means, you know, to uh, to me and how God worked that out. Um, I've led a pretty boring life, so if there's not going to be this crazy salvation story, my parents um, started going to church before I was born, and uh, or like right before I was born. And that really changed their life. My dad, from what I know, from what I hear, was a completely different person um, before he uh, found Jesus. We, again, he, he grew up on the, the south side. He's half Irish, half Italian. So he was like a lover and a fighter. And, um, but he came to the Lord and he, God just transformed his life. And uh, he just knew it was important to bring us to church. So I grew up going to church like three times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That was it, man. That was, that was what we did. And uh, I did it pretty well. I, I behaved. I kind of followed the rules, you know, except for, you know, I had a few exceptions. But again, there was nothing, you know, extraordinary about my story other than I just went and I listened. 
I, you know, I got saved when I was like five years old in the kids' church a million times, you know. And, uh, and that's okay, too. Let me tell you guys that. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, it's, you know, if you, when your heart tells you you need to repent and you need to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life again, just do it. Just follow that. That's a good instinct, okay? Um, now, there are some things, again, it's, it's, it's nuanced, just like the perfect love thing, right, or the imperfect love thing. Um, we do want to feel secure. We do want to get to that point. But if your heart's telling you, man, I've, I need to, you know, Jesus needs to be Lord of my life, do it again. So I did that, like, all the time when I was a kid. And uh, I grew up in the church. And again, I was a pretty quiet kid. I sat you know, in the back with my buddies, and we just, you know, went through the services. We went and hung out, played basketball, did all that stuff afterwards. Um, and one thing that, you know, people in, in the church, they would try and do, the, the, the adults, the older people, would always ask me, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, that's like, you guys hear that, get that question? I think it's just people wanting to, like, connect with a young person or something. But, um, they would ask me that. And for some reason, I took it seriously. Like I thought, man, I better have an answer. They're going to get mad at me or something. And uh, so I didn't know. I mean, you know, you're a kid. So you want, I want to make a lot of money. I want to be, you know, this or that. But one day, somebody asked me that, and it really bothered me. And I did something that I never did before. I stayed after church, and I went up to the front. They had a, you know, they said, hey, if you, anybody wants to pray about anything, come up to the front. So I did that. I, I, like I said, other than when I was a kid, you know, getting saved, I just didn't do that. I, I, by that. By that age, I wanted to get out of there and go hang out. So I went up there and I decided, well, I'm going to ask God, what should I be when I grow up? And that was the first time I heard him say, you know, I want you to be a missionary. And I was like, okay, this is pointless. He just told me that because I'm in church. You know, like if I was at school and asked him that, he'd tell me to be a teacher. If I was, you know, somewhere else, he'd tell me to be, a, you know, a firefighter or a lawyer or whatever. So I'm like, he's just telling me that because I'm in church. He's not taking this seriously. So I kind of just ignored it. But he kept putting things in my path. And, um, and so I started to take it seriously. I talked to, you know, my pastor about it. So if you guys feel like God's asking you to do something like that, to be a pastor, or to be a missionary, or to you know, serve the church in some way, talk to your pastors. Um, you have a lot of great ones here at the church. And they will take it seriously, and they will talk you through it. That was the first thing I did. And they encouraged me, because I was like, man, my, you know, like, I'm not a pastor's kid. I don't know anything about church. My dad managed grocery stores. You know, I can stock shelves, but I can't go tell people about Jesus. And, uh, and my youth pastor and people just began to encourage me. And, uh, and then our church would go on, on missions trips. And I had an opportunity to do that. Uh, and so I would go. And the strange thing happened, though. I would go and I was excited about it. And I was like, well, we're gonna, we went um, three or four trips to Latin America, the Caribbean. And, and there you do a lot of like big events because like there's kids just all over the place. And you know, people just, they love coming together and having like a big, you know, party outside. And it was great. But we would do like uh, skits, like Christian skits. And uh, we would learn like magic tricks and we would have little Bible lessons that went with them. And for the kids, we would do like puppet shows and stuff. And so I would learn them all. I would do them. But I just didn't, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Um, I didn't, I didn't like it. I was like, God, why aren't you like, if you called me to do this, shouldn't I be like loving this and like be all, yeah, let's do it. And uh, I just, he just kept confirming, like, just, just obey, just, you know, do it. Like, this isn't all there is. And I was like, okay. And 
we do it again. I'm like, it's just not, it's just not me. I don't like performing. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it's awkward, right? Doing a puppet show or doing a magic trick. It just wasn't, wasn't me. Um, but I just continued to do my best to obey him and, and go. And, and, I, and I, I loved the trip. I love going. I love seeing, you know, lives changed and people, you know, getting excited about experiencing freedom in Jesus. But I would always come home with those things. I'm like, man, I can't do this for the rest of my life. It's hard enough to do it for a week. And uh, so, but I still wanted to follow God. So I went to Bible school and learned about cross-cultural ministry. And even there, my church was still going on these trips. So I'd come home every summer and I'd go. And finally, I was halfway through Bible school. And I just, I was just like, if, if this is all there is, I don't know if I can do it. I'm gonna have to find something else to do. And we went on a trip. This time we went, um, we didn't go to Latin America. We went somewhere else. And we had all of the, you know, by this time I was a pro. I knew all of the tricks. I knew all of the puppet shows. And, and again, and, and this is important too, just because something's uncomfortable, um, it's okay to just do it anyway. You know, a lot of times we're like, no, I don't have to, you know, it, it's okay to just, just muscle through and do it. And I, and I did that. I didn't, I didn't rebel. I didn't, you know, disobey and storm off and, and say, this isn't me. Why aren't you, you know, I just tried, I just did my best. Okay, I wasn't perfect at it. I probably did have a bad attitude sometimes. I can be known for my sarcasm occasionally. And so we went on this trip and we get there and we tell the missionary, like, this is what we do. And we were all proud of ourselves. And he was like, yeah, that's not going to work here. You can't, you can't do that. That's not going to fly. People aren't going to come. It's not, this, it's a, it, it, was in, it was a country in Europe. He was like, it's just not culturally, you know, it's not the best thing to do. And, uh, and we said, all right, well, what are we going to do then? And he said, there's a, uh, there's a music festival in the park. And it's not a Christian music festival. It's just a music festival. But there's going to be like 100,000 people there throughout the six days. And one of, the, one of the local churches here bought a booth, like, you know, at a festival. They had, a, they had their own booth. And so we we're like, all right, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to do our magic tricks there and tell people? But he's like, no, 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 the church, it was in uh, the Netherlands. And he said, people here in the Netherlands, Dutch people, they love two things. They, they, they work hard and uh, they love taking surveys. I'm like, well, that's weird. They love like, what kind of like cultural markers? They love taking surveys, but they do. And so the, and this is the church, you know, saying this, this is like the Dutch people saying, we, we're going to do this. We're going to get a survey. And so we get there in their booth, they built a giant bed. Okay. And uh, some of it was silly. Like they had like the long, you know, like nightgown pajamas with the hats, like, you know, from olden days. And, uh, and they had these surveys and people loved it. They come up and they're asking them. And so the survey was like about rest. And they would just ask them like, how much do you work? And what do you do for rest? And they would start talking about, you know, like the emotional and, and spiritual side of like resting. And that's how they started talking to people who were, um, you know, historically pretty closed off to, to opening up and talking about those things. And man, it was a great experience. And I, I enjoyed it. And you know, God just began to show me, he said, see, it's not just, there's not just this one thing. There's like all sorts of, you know, creative um, things that are out there. Um, but you know what? The goal, the mission was still the same. It was, we want to see people, you know, transformed by that perfect love of God. We want to see people, we want to see the scales fall off their eyes. We want to see their hearts open up to this, this love and this rescue that comes from the outside. Because you see in, in Europe, 
the, the school of thought there, a lot of people think, oh, it's just old school Catholic people, but it's not. They are really very, you know, secular, they're atheistic, and they're, um, their school of thought, we would call it humanism, which means we, we have it within us to do and to solve all of the world's problems and to do everything, um, you know, the right way and to make everything right. We could solve world hunger and we can solve the climate issues on our own. And that's like a very inspiring, you know, message. But the Bible teaches us that our rescue comes from outside of ourselves, that we don't have the power to save ourselves. Because if we could save ourselves, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die on the cross, right? And we would be saying, we don't, we don't need you. I can do it myself. If I pray enough, read my Bible enough, go to church enough, if I give enough, um, you know, everything will be okay. If I just try hard enough, if I just do a little bit more, if I stop this particular sin or stop that one, or maybe just do this one a little bit less, then I can save myself. And that's not... That's not true. And, and that's something that we need to be very careful about um, letting that message sink in because it's very popular right now, even in our world. It's like, you have it all within you to do it. Everything is inside you. And now, don't get me wrong, we are made in the image of God. And that is very special and sacred. But because of that sin that came into this world, right now, the Bible tells us we see through a glass darkly. Um, the book of Romans, guys, if you're going to read a book in the Bible, um, you know, Paul tells us no one is righteous. No, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. It's very clear that in this current state, we are, we are incapable of saving ourselves. We can do a lot of good things, believe me, when we put our mind to it. I mean, just all of the stuff that we've like created and invented out of the earth Right? I mean, like this building, like the phone. Come on. Like, we, we made that out of what's in the ground, guys. Like, we can do a lot of great stuff, but only God can save us. We sang it. Only God can save us. And that's where we need to make sure that we draw that line. And we need to say, my help comes from the outside. I can do all this stuff for the good of my fellow man, for the good of, you know, the earth, for the good of you know, the people who are going to come after me, but only God can save. Only God can save. And that is like what missions is about, is we want to see people transformed by that realization to know that I need someone. That's why we talk about like repentance. I need someone to save me. I cannot do it on my own. And you guys may have been trying a lot right now and maybe you still think, oh, I've got it in me. I can do it. I'm getting better. You know, Tom, if you only knew three years ago I was only doing this well, but now I'm doing this well. Well, let me tell you, by the time you're 25, 35, 45, you're going to realize the struggle will always be there. There's always going to be another something else laid out in front of you to overcome. You're going to need Jesus. He's the only one who can do it. And he does it for you, not with you. He does it for you on your behalf. That same book in Romans says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It didn't matter what you did, didn't do, how good you did it, how many times you did it, good or bad behavior. Jesus died for us then because he loves us perfectly. Um, there's a ver I've, I've thrown out scripture. The one I really want to use is 
found in the book of Isaiah, if you guys can put that up. And now, again, I'm aging myself. You guys see that KJV? That's like a Bible that was translated a long time ago, okay? Don't, you don't, I'm not saying that you have to read that version. I normally don't. But this verse is it's just so much more poetic and meaningful um, compared to how we read it now. So I'm just going to read it there, and then I'll tell you what some of our newer versions say, okay? It says, And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry... And satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. Now, the key words there are not thou and thy and shall, okay? So we're just gonna reread it with a little more modern language. If you draw out your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then will your light rise in obscurity, and your darkness will be as the noonday. The newer versions, guys, that we, that we read, and like I said, I'm not gonna get, this isn't about Bible versions. Read whatever translation that you've got. There's a couple on my list that I would stay away from, but we can get to that later. Um, it, now it, it'll say, if you pour out yourself for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, your light will rise out of your gloom and your darkness will be like the noonday. It leaves out the word soul, okay? There's a lot in this world, like, Culturally, guys, I, again, I can't imagine being in your shoes. Um, we came home off the plane, and I was just blown away by the state of things in our, in our world, in our country. And I can't imagine what it's doing inside your hearts and your minds, but just keep going with it. Don't give up on God. Don't let what sin is doing to this world um, ruin what you know about his perfect love because he has done it. Jesus when he died, like his last words on the cross were, it is finished. And we won't experience that hope for, you know, a while, but it's there and we can see it. You guys, if you've experienced that grace, you've glimpsed it. And that hunger should keep you, you know, going and, and striving for more. But again, the key word there is soul. We worked a lot in our last term in Belgium with Convoy of Hope. You guys know what Convoy of Hope is? It's this awesome humanitarian aid organization they do a ton of stuff here in the, in the states, in the inner cities, and in, you know, poor communities. And they do a ton of stuff for the homeless, for the jobless. Like, it's awesome. Overseas, they respond to disasters all over the world. They're, they're there. Um, disaster, war zones, convoy wants to go. They want a Christian presence there serving the poor and the needy. And I got to do that. I got to go um, to refugee camps um, like miles away from the Syrian border. Um, I got to go to an earthquake response in Nepal um, in countries where it's illegal to convert to Christianity. We were able to do some awesome work. I did uh, hurricane responses in the Caribbean, total islands just like wiped out by water. Just, you know, this crazy stuff. Um, and we would do that verse in like the modern version. We would pour ourselves out on behalf of the hungry. I mean, I would be gone for two or three weeks and then I'm exhausted. I poured myself out. The churches that were there, they poured themselves out even more, man. I, I left. I got to come home. They lived and they stayed. But the key to that verse is the word soul. If you draw out your soul for the hungry, and that, guys, is missions. That is so much deeper, right? When you do something soul to soul, you can stand and you can give a bag of groceries, or a stack of money. Um, and you can feed the hungry, and we need to do that as the church. Please do that. If somebody is hungry, give them food. That's 
something Jesus tells us to do. But when we're talking about like missions and eternity, it's got you need to we need to draw out our soul for the hungry. And that is like a scary thought. That opens us up because like like life's messy, right? You get your heart broken when you go soul to soul with somebody. When you stay at a distance, you could just walk away and say, ah, forget them. You know, we have that, we love that phrase, meet people where they're at. There's like some guy, I, I don't know his name, so I can't quote him, so sorry, but he was like, we need to meet people where we're at, where they're at, and sometimes we leave them there. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, again, going soul to soul with somebody. Um, you guys know that life is messy. In high school, the friend, I know you guys, you probably, like, we call it drama, right? How many of you guys experienced a little bit of drama among your friend groups, right? And it is drama, right? It's crazy. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make fun of it. I don't want to, to minimize it at all. It's crazy the stuff that happens even in high school. I know I went to high school, okay? Um, but you're soul to soul with some of those people. And I know a lot of times the response, and again, you need to be careful because there are times where you need to, you know, maybe get out of there. But when you have a friend who's hungry, and when we talk about hungry, like I said, I'm in Europe, there's people there, are refugees, there's Roma. There's people who are, again, these humanists just trying to do it all themselves. They're hungry. Some of them are hungry for food and water, but they're hungry for these soul things too. What's your soul hungry for? Our souls are hungry for peace, for freedom, for justice. Nowadays, that's a huge word, right? We are hungry for justice. It breaks my heart what's happening in our world. We're hungry. Our souls are hungry for justice. Hungry for dignity, hungry for friendship, for joy. Does that resonate? Our soul, what is our soul hungry for? When your friends who are going through that drama, their souls are hungry. And don't, you don't do it by yourself. You have, again, youth leaders, youth pastors, pastors at this church, Christian, maybe not your parents, but maybe other Christian adults. If your friends' souls are hungry, the first response shouldn't be to, to cut and run and abandon them in the name of your own, you know, whatever. We need to love them. We need to show them that perfect love. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for someone who will love me unconditionally. And again, you're not that person. God is. But you, you knowing that can point them to the right place. You can show them that. You can say, I can't solve your problems. I don't know that they're ever gonna get solved. You're not going to be alone. And I know someone who loves you perfectly when all this crazy stuff is going on. We can do that. People are afflicted. They're afflicted. Their souls are afflicted. Like, what does that mean? What does it mean to draw out your soul to somebody? And that's like a special calling. Okay, we should be doing the good works. One of the things that, um, you know, really got me thinking about this that we, were, we would do with Convoy of Hope is um, they did these surveys. And if you ask somebody who's like me, a middle-class white guy, what is poverty, the answers would be, well, it's a lack of resources. There's not enough money. There's not enough food. There's not enough jobs. And if we can, you know, get all that together, then we can help solve this. And some of that might be true on some level. But if you take that same survey 
and you ask it for people who are actually living in poverty, they don't talk about food and water and money and houses. That might be on their list, but the top things are uh, dignity, respect, hope, and we may, I'll never raise enough money to give everybody the money that they need or want or think they need or want. Um, but I can welcome them into the kingdom of heaven that God is establishing here on earth. And we can talk about hope. I can treat them with dignity. It breaks my heart, guys, when, I'm, when we come home and I hear Christians and churches just dismissing entire groups of people who are crying out for dignity. Let's not let that happen to us and to our church. Um, it says to draw out your soul. There's, there's pain in that. Um, when the Bible talks about who Jesus is, Philippians talks about he humbled himself. He became nothing. He became a helpless baby. Uh, he was born into a poor family of no name, I mean, it was the house of David, but at that first time, nobody knew Joseph and Mary. Um, it says he became obedient, obedient to death on a cross. And what are we unwilling to be obedient to? Again, we're not Jesus, okay? That's not what I'm trying to say. Jesus is the only one who can die on a cross and forgive us of all of our sins. But his, his example, his the way that he did that for us was to just become obedient. He gave up his personal freedoms for the sake of the lost and the hurting and the needy. He knew when he healed people on a Sunday, one of the stories in scripture, he healed a, a, a man at a pool on a Sunday. And the religious people, the church, they weren't happy about that because he did it on a Sunday. You know, and Jesus knew I'm going to be giving up something when I do this. He knew people were going to be mad. He knew they were going to start coming after him. But he did what he needed to do. He went soul to soul with this guy. And he said, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. And earlier in that story, you know what the guy told him? Jesus said, don't you want to be healed? And he said, I've got nobody to carry me to the pool. Guys, we, we, we may never touch somebody and heal like a sickness. Um, but we can carry him to the pool where that healing's found, right? Going soul to soul with people. That's what missions, missions is. It's not just meeting them where they're at, but living with them where they're at. A lot of times we want to meet people where they're at, but then quickly say, okay, let's get out of this mess and come to where I'm at. Or you know, once you get your act together, you can, you know, maybe be a part of this. No, Jesus came into earth at one point in time. He, his disciples, when he called them, that's when the ministry started. He didn't say, okay, guys, let's do a six-month discipleship program, and then we're going to go out there and hit the streets. Right away. He met them where they were at, and he lived with them where they were at. That's what it means to go soul to soul with somebody. And so, again, that verse, if we can just put it back up there and leave it, just, just read it, you know. Take out the these and thous and shells, all right? But don't, there's a lot of good things we can do that can distract us from the mission. 
a lot of good things, but the mission is souls, guys. It's yours, first of all. Take care of yours. You can't do anything unless you understand first that you are perfectly loved by God right where you're at. He died for you while you were still a sinner. He didn't put a list of things together. How many of you guys, I've done this, and I'm gonna close real quick, I know. I've done this though, like you want, you ask God in your quiet time, you're like, God, just tell me what I need to do so that I know I'm like on the right path or that I know that this, is, this thing is real, I'm not just wasting my time. Go on, raise your hand. Anybody ever ask God that? Just a couple of you, the rest of you will. And when you do, don't wait for a list, okay? Go to scripture. Again, this is one that I didn't put up there, but the book of John in chapter six, I think it's verse 28 and 29, the disciples asked this of Jesus. They asked him, they said, what is it to do the work of the Father? Okay, again, they used old-timey language, but they were asking him, what, what do I need to do to know that I'm doing God's work? The same question all of us as Christians want to ask him, what is it to do the work of the Father? And Jesus didn't give them the Ten Commandments. Um, he didn't say, love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't give them the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. Those are like Bible words. For those of you who don't know them, those are places where the Bible tells us things that we can do, that those things show us how the world works best. Anyway, Jesus didn't give them a task list. He didn't give them, you know, um, a list of things to do. He said, the work of the Father is this, to believe in the one who he sent. The work of God is to believe in Jesus, and it's work. It's not easy. I can get up here and talk about it for 20 minutes and make it sound good, to make it sound easy. Oh, yeah, just believe that Jesus loves me perfectly and everything's fine. No, he calls it work because we can't just say it and then write it off and move on to the next thing. Okay, Jesus loves me. Now, what can I do? No, your work is to keep coming back to that belief. Belief is hard work. Jesus knows that. He spent three years with those disciples and at the end, they still couldn't figure it out. So what makes us think that we're gonna all just get it and move on, right, to the next things, right? We need to just believe in the one in whom he sent. And there's a lot in there. There's a lot of good work that could be done. There's a lot of Bible study that can be done, but the focus is, how is this, am I really believing in Jesus? It's work, and it's trust. That means there may not be any evidence to show us that we're doing it, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't be belief, it would be proof, and we don't have that, and we're not told to search for that. We're just said to believe and to trust. There's great mystery. There's great mystery in, in just learning about who Jesus is and how much he loves us and what he's done for us. So just know that. Your work is to believe in the one in whom he sent. And then the Bible tells us we're to be witnesses. Right? What does a witness do? We just tell people what we've seen. And that's what I can do. Like I said, my, my testimony, there's nothing, my story, there's nothing crazy about it. It's very normal, very quiet. But I just tell people, this is how God worked in my life. This is what I've seen. And I may not be a whole lot better than I was before, but that doesn't make it any less true. And if we can own that, and if we can say, you know, what are, what are some of the things that people say about Christians? The complaints. Oh, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Have you guys heard that? Christians are hypocrites. And our, our natural worldly response is to say to ourselves and to say to God, I want to prove them wrong. And I'm going to show them that I'm not a hypocrite. So I'm going to try and live perfectly in front of this person. Does that work? No. I think even you guys know that it doesn't work. Even though you've only been at it for a short time. We know really quick that doesn't work. So what, like, what can we say? 
We say, yeah, man, I am a hypocrite. That's why I need Jesus. Because I can't do it. But he can do it for me. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done. And his perfect love. So guys, I'm going to close it up here in a minute. But that, I want that to be your encouragement. Um, and I hope it's a freeing thing. I don't want this to be like a burden. But our work is to believe. And that's why God gave us the church. Uh, because people can help us with that when we're struggling. There's another instant. Like I said, the Bible is a great place. It, 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 it's hard sometimes to understand or to figure it out. But there's a place in scripture, another guy was like waiting for a healing or asking Jesus to do a miracle. And he was like, I believe, help my unbelief. Like one sentence right after each other. That's how real the struggle is. That's how real the work is. Sorry, this is like flopping all over the place. Um, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. So it's okay to feel that way too. You don't have to be perfect or have it figured all out. Just be honest with Jesus about it. And he, he's there. The two things that happened from that fall at the beginning um, were sin and the suffering it causes, right? And God gave us the solution to both of those things. His solution to sin is not a discipleship program. His solution to sin is not behavior therapy. God's solution to sin is forgiveness. The only way he knows to deal with it is to forgive it and get rid of it. He forgives. You're forgiven. And the solution to suffering, we've all, we all either have suffered or know people who have suffered. And we all know that no matter how much we pray or how much we want it, sometimes people don't get lifted out of their suffering. Right? God's promise to us, his solution for suffering isn't to make everything better in our time. His solution to suffering is compassion. And the way that God uh, defines compassion is to be with us while we suffer. He walks with us while we suffer. It's not to take the suffering away. It's to promise that we won't be alone. And you're not alone. You have a church. You have a small group with uh, cool names that I can't remember right now. But you have people. That's why he gives, he's given us the church. He's given us each other to lean on. It's a, it's a trick of the devil to think you're alone in the way that you're thinking. That's why I've probably asked like nine times, hey, raise your hand or who's done this? Look around you. You're not alone. We all go through this stuff together. So let's just make that our work is to believe in the one that God has sent. And we know that's Jesus. To believe things and statements like he loves me perfectly and if he loves me perfectly I don't need everybody else to do it to believe that he cares about my hunger but about my hungry soul he cares about my hungry soul I mean like that's that's I mean right my he cares about my afflicted soul and he's put people here who can you know, meet those needs. And so trust him with that and talk about it with people. It's awesome. It's great. That's what the church is for. That's what mission is. Wherever you're at, if God's calling you to missions, guys, that's fantastic. I'll be here a little bit. You can talk to me, but I know you can talk to Pastor Joey and anybody here at the church about it. If you feel that's what God's calling you to do, to be a missionary, to be a pastor, like, just run to them, man. They'll, they'll walk with you through that. But anything you guys do in your life, the mission is the soul. It's not the good work. It's not the thing that we can put on Instagram. 
you know, I've got the biggest pile of goodies to give away. Look at me, everybody. That's not the goal. The goal is the soul. All right? To go soul to soul with people. Start with your friends. Start with family. So let's pray. And then I believe after I pray, you guys are dismissed. Is that right, Pastor Jason? Yeah. All right. So, God, we come to you tonight and we, Lord, ask your forgiveness, first of all, for our unbelief. And we, Lord, just fall at your feet and we want to lay everything in your arms and we don't want to take it back. We want to let you have it and let you run with it, God. You care about our soul You care about our hunger. And Jesus, I would just ask tonight that you would speak to each person here. Show them, Lord, that you are with them when they suffer. Remind them, Jesus, that they are forgiven. Not just for the things that we know about, but for everything. Jesus, when you were on the cross, you said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive us, Lord, for not knowing what we're doing. And be with us, Lord, as we try and, and be your church and to be the way, Lord, that, that verse talks about light shining in obscurity, your light shining in gloominess. And we have some gloomy days around us, Jesus. We are living in gloomy times. Remind us, Lord, that your light, Jesus, we are not the light. Jesus is that light that shines, Lord, when we go soul to soul with somebody when we allow our life to get a little bit messy with people, when we allow ourselves to love imperfectly, when we allow ourselves to accept your perfect love, Lord, so that the imperfect love doesn't hurt us. God, speak to us all tonight, Lord, about the mission, whether it's around the world, right here, whether it's short-term, long-term, whatever it is, Jesus. Just help us to not get distracted, Lord, by all the other things, but to remember the soul is the thing. We love you, Jesus. We trust you. Keep us all safe as we head home tonight, Jesus, and bring us together in small groups, Lord, tomorrow where we can just talk about about believing in you, believing the one that you have sent. We love you, God, and we trust you. We ask you to do all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.